you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Before we uh, tackle Romans chapter 8, though, I do have one announcement that I need to make you aware of. Uh, We um, failed, and by we I mean mainly me, uh, to read the Constitution well and to notify Grant that we would be taking action concerning his membership. And so we can't have our business meeting tonight, so we'll probably have it next Sunday night because I need to get him a written notification according to our church's constitution that he will be uh, being discussed next week. So you'll get an extra couple minutes for your Mother's Day and you won't have to come to a church business meeting. So you should be happy. Anyways, Romans chapter 8 verses 26 through 30. Help in our weakness. We all have weaknesses, and we all have different kinds of weaknesses. You may struggle uh, in the kitchen. You may not be a great cook. You may struggle when it comes to, uh, you know, doing the dishes, or you may struggle when it comes to doing the laundry, or um, you may struggle, like me, with handyman-type jobs around the house. I am completely unhandy. Um, I'll give you a couple illustrations of this. I don't do anything on my car but, like, change light bulbs. Pretty much, if you get above washing the windows for the car, it's above my pay grade. I don't get how to do it. Um, when it comes to, like, work at the house, like handyman-type stuff at the house, when I was living with my grandparents... Back in like 2009, my grandparents decided to take a little trip and they left me home alone to fend for myself. And I went to turn on the water and I wasn't brutal to the water thing, but the water thing fell apart and started squirting water up in the air. And I had no idea what to do. I did not know, this is how bad it is, I did not know that underneath the sink is another faucet that you can use to turn... So I'm like getting the kitchen flooded and I'm calling my pastor at our church there. What do I do? Now, if you call me with that question, good luck. You're going to have you're going to have your place flooded. I don't know. But my pastor knew and he could help me. We all have weaknesses. okay? And we have weaknesses when it comes to the spiritual walk as well. And some of those weaknesses include uh, a desire to go to different sins, whether it be overeating after a stressful day or viewing pornography or some other entertainment that you go to to find satisfaction and rest and relaxation after a long day. There's all sorts of other things that we have weaknesses in. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us in all these weaknesses that we have. Our text today, though, is specifically honing in on the weakness we have when it comes to our prayer life. Our text today helps us to understand that while we struggle in our prayer life, God sends the Holy Spirit to help us and so that our prayers are effective and ultimately end in our glorification we see in verse chapter 8, verse 30. So the big idea is take comfort and the help of the Holy Spirit in your weakness. And your weakness specifically in this text is not our struggle with sin so much, but our weakness is We don't know how to pray like we should, but the Holy Spirit comes and helps us. Let's look at our text, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, or weakness. 
for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And he and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort that you give us through it. We pray that we would be encouraged and comforted, not only in our prayer life, but also with our hope in knowing that the struggles and difficulties that we go through are ultimately being used to bring about goodness in our life. In your name we pray, amen. Paul begins by discussing our weakness. And our weakness specifically is our inability to pray as we should. And you will note in verse 26 that this weakness isn't something that Paul's saying, uh, the Roman church has this problem. You guys really struggle with your prayer life, and I'm going to help you understand how to pray better. No, Paul is saying this is something that I struggle with as well. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. It's something that we mutually share together. And so Paul portrays himself as weak when it comes to his prayer life. And you might think that's kind of shocking. I kind of feel like that's a little shocking. We've been going through Ephesians in Sunday school, and a couple weeks, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we've been going through Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, and this is a marvelous prayer. He prays for them, and he praises God. I mean, this is a model prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a marvelous prayer. And yet Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, we have a weakness, and our weakness is our prayer life. Paul's been praying as a result of what's happened between the Jews and the Gentiles. But the end of his prayer points to the fact that this wasn't something that he even thought to pray about. Who was praying that this would be accomplished? The Holy Spirit must have been praying alongside Paul, even though he didn't know how to effectively pray in this situation, that God would unite both Jew and Gentile. That's the big context. And Paul says it's above and beyond what we could think or ask. And so Paul struggles in his prayer life. But not only that passage, it becomes even more clear that Paul struggled with his prayer life when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And in this passage, Paul has a problem that he's asking God to remove from him, and he does so a number of times. 
Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, some sort of problem, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, I had this bad thing happen to me, and I went to God three times, and I earnestly entreated him to take this away. And God came back and said, no, Paul, this is for your benefit. This thing that you see as bad is going to be for your benefit. And so God says no. And so Paul, when he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that we have a weakness and our weakness is our prayer life. We don't know how to pray like we should. It's something that's true of Paul. And it's something that's true of us. We don't know how to effectively pray many times. And it might bring up the question, well, if I don't know how to effectively pray and the Holy Spirit will do it for me, then maybe I should just give up and let God do the praying. And Paul, I think, um, provides us with a strong answer in other books to say, no, you need to keep praying. One of our needs is to pour out our hearts to the Father. It should be something that we want as well. It shouldn't be something that we just need, but our desire should be when we have problems, even if God's not going to solve them the way we want them to be solved, we should have a desire to go and tell God, this hurts. And so we saw in Romans chapter 8, earlier in the passage, that we have the ability to cry out to God, Abba, Father, and to cry out and point to our sufferings that we're experiencing. Last week we saw that creation is groaning, yearning for the day when God's glory will be revealed and the bodies of man will be redeemed. And same thing for the believers. The believers are also groaning, yearning for that day. And so it's appropriate for us to go to the Lord in prayer and to express our desire for things to be changed. But not only that, it is actually commanded that we pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. It doesn't get much simpler than that. So while we don't always pray the right way, we're supposed to be involved in prayer. And I think most of our prayers are according to God's will. And if they're according to God's will, the Holy Spirit has no need to correct them and to pray a different prayer other than what we've prayed. So we should be actively involved in prayer. So our weakness this inability to understand how to pray effectively should not result in fear or worry, but rather it should result in a firm confidence that I'm commanded to pray, I need to be in communion with my God. And so I go to him, I tell him what's on my heart, and if I'm out of line with what his will is for my life, if he wants this bad thing in my life, then he will allow it to remain. And so it should be provide us with hope and confidence that God's will will be accomplished. And you see that fleshed out even more in the following verses. We can have confidence and hope in the fact that we will be glorified as believers. So the point is not mature. Paul is not saying in verse 26, hey, 
Romans, he's not grabbing them by the shoulder and saying, Romans, wake up. You guys got to learn how to pray better. You're not doing it great. Instead, he's pointing to our need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Not only to live a life that honors and glorifies God by walking according to the Spirit, which he talked about in a great detail in Romans chapter 8, but also in our prayer life. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit because all too often, we don't understand God's big picture. And as such, we don't know how to pray like we should. We are weak, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. But Paul doesn't stop there. In the remaining, remaining part of Romans chapter 8, verse 26, and Romans 8, 27, he talks about the Holy Spirit's help. What does the Holy Spirit do then in response to this? Verse 26, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart, that is God the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the text tells us in the midst of our struggles, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and he helps us and he intercedes for us. And that should provide us with great comfort. Because if you're like me, you can remember many times where you've prayed for something. And after you prayed for it, God never granted you what you requested. He gave you something else. But we can take hope and find encouragement in the fact that the Holy Spirit is coming alongside and praying for us. And is effective and he's reaching God the Father, and God the Father is acting based on what the Holy Spirit prays for us. Even when we stumble in prayers, he is interceding. One of the scary things, I think, is when you like graduate from like downstairs on Wednesday nights and you start coming upstairs during prayer meeting. If you've ever, if you grew up in the church, and you know, you got to do youth group, and youth group's pretty easy, it's like your peers. And you, before that, you're like, you know, with the little kids and you're playing games and a little lesson. And there's no like intimidating praying in front of adults. But then you like turn 18, 19, 20, and then they make you come upstairs and they make you pray in front of people. And, and when you first start doing it, you kind of stumble around. You don't really know what you're doing. And you say stuff and you're like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And you get kind of nervous. But even when we stumble in our private prayers as adults, when we don't know, when you're facing situations that they're just perplexing, why does God allow this situation to come into my life? And we're just struggling for understanding how to pray about this situation. God comes along and he helps us. And it kind of reminds us of when we were young in our faith or young not so much young in our faith, but we're just starting to pray in public. That's kind of the feeling. But even when those days when we're praying and it's, it's hard and we're struggling, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he, he helps and he intercedes for us. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit is not the only one interceding for us. If you skip ahead to verse 34, we're not looking at verse 34 today, but we'll look at it next week. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. So it's not only the Holy Spirit interceding for us. It's kind of like 
in verses um, 19 th- or 18 through 25, you see the groanings. So you have creation groaning, waiting for the day when God will come and take care of all the evil in this world. You have the believers groaning and looking forward to the day when God will come and take care of all the evil in this world and set up his kingdom, a perfect kingdom. And then in verses 26 through 27, the Holy Spirit is groaning, but it's a new section, but he's using the same words. And then he picks up the idea of interceding. And then in the next section, you see the idea of interceding as well. There's this chain. The thought is flowing. But the whole, uh, Lord Jesus Christ is also interceding for us as believers. But God the Father knows our minds, and he knows the Spirit's mind. And that's because the Spirit is continually praying to him and informing him of what we need in our life right now. So the Holy Spirit conforms our prayers to God's will. You see in verse 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit ensures that our prayers are not simply our desires, but are actually in conformity to what God wants for us so that we become mature disciples of Christ who are becoming more and more like Jesus every day. It's interesting. In verses 18 through 25, creation is groaning. Creation is yearning for the day when it can produce to its full bounty. Creation is not producing its full amount that it can. The wheat fields do not produce the amount that they could. The cows don't get as nice and big as plump as they can. Nothing produces to the extent that it could in God's perfect creation without evil and sin. And creation knows it and is yearning for the day when God will restore creation to where it's supposed to be. The believers also are yearning for the day when there is no more sin and we don't struggle with our sin nature. And yet our groaning doesn't change anything. But here, the Holy Spirit groans. And as he groans... God's purpose and God's will is fully accomplished in our lives. The Holy Spirit's groans accomplish something, even though ours just demonstrate we have this hope. We're looking forward to the day when we will be fully glorified. God is, though, working for our ultimate good. So we are weak. We don't know how to pray in the midst of the struggles and tribulations that we go through. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us and tells God, God, this is what David needs in this moment. But then God doesn't just take that and go, excellent, I'll set that aside or I'll file that in the proper filing system right next to my desk in the little wastebasket. That's not what God does. God acts, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God is working to accomplish our ultimate good. And he does that through all things. All things are worked together by God, not themselves. The way it's translated, you may think that, you know, the things themselves are somehow working towards good. That's what it kind of says. All things work together for good. Like the things themselves are doing the working. 
That is not what is going on here. The idea actually is that God is working all things for your good. God is working all things. When I sin, and I sin fairly regularly, I sinned this morning. I was getting my highlights done for my Sunday morning message and my wife bumped the computer up there and I was like, what did you do? And she didn't mean to. She was just trying to get her thing ready so she could print off her next thing. But I was, I was angry. I sinned against my wife, okay? But even our sin can help us to become more like Jesus, okay? Even our sin can be worked out for our good, our ultimate good. And even the sin of others can be worked out to accomplish God's ultimate good because he has it all planned out so that as these events happen in your life, they are planned, and as he uses them in your life, they mold you and make you the person that he wants you to be. So God uses all things to accomplish his good will. But there is a condition. It's not just all things for everybody anywhere works for good because God is working it out that way. You notice that? Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. It's for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And so it brings up two questions. Do you love God? If you say, yes, I love God, how do you demonstrate that you love God? If I were to say to my wife that I love my wife, but she couldn't see anything that demonstrated my love for her, she'd probably begin to wonder, does my husband really love me? If you say you love God, but there is no fruit that demonstrates you love God, it should make you ask, do I genuinely love God? But then the other one is those who are called according to his purpose. And that one maybe is a little more difficult, because how do we know if we're called according to his purpose? And that's what he describes, that's what he defines for us in the following verses. God's purpose, God's plan is verses 29 through 30. And the purpose of 29 through 30 is not to expound to us the whole understanding of salvation. The purpose of verses 29 through 30 are not primarily soteriological. They are primarily to comfort us. Romans chapter 8 is the great comfort chapter of the Bible. Its purpose is to comfort our hearts as we go through sin, as we struggle with sin. The Spirit is there to help us as we deal with the sin that is in this world and the fact that creation is cursed. We're groaning. We're looking forward to the day when God glorifies us and God glorifies the whole earth. And so ultimately, the purpose is not to explain to us every aspect of theology. The purpose is to explain to us the great comfort that we have. And the great comfort that we have is ultimately found in the last phrase of verse 30, when we are glorified. So the guarantee is this chain. Verses 29 through 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, 
These he also glorified. One of the discussions, or one of the qualifications in verse 28 is those who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose then is laid out for us in 29 through 30. This is God's plan. The purpose or plan is known as the golden chain. You say, why is it a golden chain? Well, the idea is that it's perfect. Okay? You can't have one without having the other. If the one first thing is true of you, if you are truly known by God intimately, then the next one is true, and then the next one. And it ultimately ends in you being glorified. Jesus is intimately, intimately knows us. Okay, that is the idea that is communicated. And I'm by no means expounding the whole purpose or the whole idea of these terms because the purpose is not soteriological, it's comfort. For whom he foreknew, that is, those who he intimately knew, those are the ones whom he predestined. He destined for a plan. That plan is that they would be conformed to the image of his son, that we would become like Jesus that we would be growing, that we would be maturing, that our lives and actions would demonstrate that we are people who know Jesus, who are maturing. That means the way we live at work should be changed. That way means the way we live at home should be changed. That means what we do for recreation should be changed. We are destined to become into to come into the image of his son. But the chain does not end there. That is not the end goal of Jesus' coming to the earth and dying for us on the cross. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is the first. It's similar to the passage we looked at this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the first place. He is preeminent in all things. He has authority over everything. Moreover, whom he predestined, so those who he destined to be conformed into the image of his son, these he also called. The idea there is they were brought to him, that he called out, and it was an effectual calling. These are declared righteous. These are the ones who are justified. It's a legal term. Think of a judge standing and saying, you are righteous before the law. And these will ultimately be glorified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And when he says glorified there, you say, well, I'm not fully glorified yet. That's true. But in Jesus' sight, if you have received his gift of salvation, it's as good as done. While we still have to face all the suffering and all the evil of this world, and there is so much evil in this world, so much evil, Ultimately, we know with confidence that we will be glorified. And when we are glorified, we will be in the eternal state that is also glorified, a new heaven and a new earth with no sin. And that is true comfort. What does this mean for us? Romans 
8 is the great comfort chapter. And so the primary emphasis and application once again is comfort. Take comfort. You are not alone in your weakness. Me and you don't know how to pray like we should, but at least we're not alone in it, right? But also take comfort in the help of the Holy Spirit. It's not that you just have uh, misery in numbers. You know, there's, you know, 45 of us, 50 of us here, and we all don't know how to pray like we should, and misery loves company, and so we just enjoy that fact. That's not the idea. The idea is, if you know Jesus, while you and I don't know how to pray like we should, and even the Apostle Paul didn't know how to pray like he should, the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us. But we can also take comfort in God's work for our good. God has promised that he is working all these things out for good. He hears the Holy Spirit's groanings. The Holy Spirit's groanings are effectual, and they accomplish good in our lives. And we might not see immediate good in our lives, but it is working towards good. And then finally, thank God for the promise and guarantee that we've been given. If you have been called, then you will be glorified. That is a promise that will not be broken. It is a golden chain. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are our helper, not only in dealing with sin, but also in approaching the many trials that we face in this life. We thank you that you are working them all out for our good. And we may not see how you use the situations of our life to work out good in this life, but we know that at the end of our lives, you will use these situations for our ultimate good and that we will be glorified and that we will be with you and we will share in your glory. And in your name we pray, amen.